0: From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: Welcome to the big event and our tribute to the game with me and Beth Spotswood here with her son Leo, the second infant to appear on the big event and we're now two for two with super chill babies. Probably inappropriate for me to invite a baby because The Game is an R-rated movie. Released in 1997, it's the third movie from David Fincher, director of Seven and Fight Club. Michael Douglas stars as rich San Francisco financier Nicholas Van Orton. He gets caught up in The Game, which is run by the mysterious corporation Consumer Recreation Services and starts doling out sheer terror. Here's a scene from early in the movie at his home when a newscaster on television starts speaking directly to Van Orton, and he realizes privacy will not be part of the game.
0: ...abroad today, after the announcement of stronger-than-expected earnings by several high-tech companies, but dipped again, reacting to reports that Nicholas Van Orton had sneezed. Are you going to spend the rest of the evening prying at that clown's mouth? I, I, I don't. It's frustrating for me if you, don't, if you don't pay attention. What is this? This is your game, Nicholas, I'm and present. welcome to it. I'm here to let you in on a few ground rules.
1: A couple notes. There's profanity in a couple of the film clips we play. So this is an explicit The Big Event podcast. And there will be a lot of spoilers. The film's all about surprises. So watch the game, then come back to the podcast. Beth and I talk about the realism of the game, all the great San Francisco locations, including many that you can still visit. We talk about the suspension of disbelief required to watch this movie and how much that matters. And Beth and I try to calculate how much the final bill was in the game. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob and this is The Big Event. Welcome back to The Big Event, Beth Spotswood. You brought a guest.
0: I did, yeah. I I, um, I I have my plus one here. My son, Leonardo, Leo. Little Leo's here for the first time. He's six months old, and he's um, delighted to be here.
1: So I wanted to ask you, congratulations, by the way. This is your, re- <laughs> <laughs> ooh, look at that, little burp. Uh, you're returning to The Big Event, but uh, first Big Event with baby. And you're- I've
0: de- Well, I did The Big Event pregnant. Okay. So technically, I think it was Sister Act. Yeah. I was with Child.
1: Yeah, but I didn't see him. So he's beautiful. Uh, thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you.
1: So I wanted to ask you about um, movies and babies, because I remember my movie-going baby years as having some real distinct stages, and you're such a huge movie fan. Yeah. What's your, like, movie TV schedule now? Is it good or bad?
0: It's... Oh, that's a really great question. My movie schedule is non-existent. In fact, we were walking down Chestnut Street yesterday and I passed the movie theater and smelled movie theater smell. And I was like, oh, (laughs) "Oh, it's been so long. Um, The last movie I saw was A Star is Born. And I was super pregnant and I lost it. Like I just had a full on emotional breakdown at the end Uh because Bradley Cooper gave so much of himself. He did. I had a huge
1: breakdown, it. and I'm not pregnant. I mean, I'm okay. a 48-year-old man with two kids who are almost in their teens. So, <laughs>
0: um, But so basically now I – when he goes to bed, I can do, like, a full two hours. But I haven't just because that's also when I work – I work from home with Leo. So, like, when he goes to bed, it's a big working time for me. So my TV schedule, which is a little bit more manageable, is – focused on the junk that I watch, like my yeah. guilty pleasures.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I just remember right around that age and even a little younger, I had such good movie and TV coverage then. I remember I would stay up late and they didn't have the word binge watching back then, but we just got TiVo and I sat there and watched like Deadwood and Oz and all these- Why were these...
0: you watching so much?
1: I don't know why and I probably corrupted my child with it, but-
0: Oh, so you let them watch?
1: Well, yeah I had him with me I mean I would just like m- give my wife a break and then he'd be on my lap and I'd be <gasps> watching these movies I know that's kind of the reaction I got from my wife and her family
0: um, <laughs> um, screen time is really frowned upon for anyone under 18 months yeah well this was according like according to my googling
1: th- this was like 2005 so no one had done that study yet and then in the morning I would do the early feeding a lot and then I'd watch a movie then so I'd have the baby and put like platoon on but I don't remember watching any kid stuff at all. I remember watching all the HBO shows and R-rated stuff that I wanted to watch in the morning. And oh, my kid's, yeah, it my kids no fine.
0: Difference. He's fine. So far. So far. <laughs> Little do you know.
1: So the game, I, I want to apologize to you because Finally. you've come on <laughs> the podcast before and championed the game. And every time I'm like, oh, really? Or, oh, yeah, that's all right. I never... I saw it in the theater in 1997 when it came out, and I don't know what was wrong with me, but it didn't resonate in a way that made me think, God, this is a great movie. I absolutely loved it. It's a good movie. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, when when did you see it, and what was your initial reaction? I don't remember.
0: I've seen it so many times <laughs> that the first—they y- say you always remember your first time. I don't remember the first time I saw the game. Um, I've seen it 50 times. Yeah, it's fabulous, and if it's on, I will. It's one of those. It's the Shawshank Redemption. It's like one of those that I will always watch. A Few Good Men. I gotta watch. I All gotta right. finish.
1: Well, the game is on that list for me now. I do want to say, anybody who's listening, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have not seen the game, stop now and go watch it because there are going to be spoilers. But more importantly, you should see this movie without the spoilers.
0: Um, oh yeah.
1: I mean, there's some really great surprises in the movie.
0: Wonderful surprises. I mean, that's the whole... I, that's why I'm confused as to why you walked away from seeing the game in the theater.
1: This is for you. You should. What do you get for the man who has everything? Consumer Recreation Services. Well, I do have golf clubs. I'll call that number. Why? make your life fun. Fun? You know what that is? You've seen other people have it. It's an entertainment service. An escort service? A profound life experience.
0: Sorry. Uh, just no, going. it's
1: alright. Just... Tell me your call. I said I would. No, you didn't. He's still on medication. Why would you say that? So, I want to give a little history. I actually looked up the Chronicle, wrote several stories about the game, um, including this story in 1996. The game is not out yet, but we wrote this big story that San Francisco was the Hollywood of the North. And let me find this.
0: You know, you have to, there's a visual here that Peter has gigantic printouts, paper, paper printouts of old... We are in the. We are surrounded by old newspapers <laughs> in some Chronicle library. But Peter has taken to printing out 1997 version of the Chronicle's date book on other pieces of paper, which he has piled in front of him, like it is 1997 all over again.
1: Yes, uh, my b- bylines here uh, for Chronicle readers: Edward Guthman, Peter Stack, and Stephen Wynn. Uh, Peter Stack wrote a story, "Hollywood Discovers Treasure," about Hollywood discovering Treasure Island. Like, this was probably the three or four years where the most movies and TV shows were filmed in San Francisco. We were hot. We were hot. Nash Bridges going full bore. Sphere is filming on Mare Island, and Jack is about to film there when they're done. Um, You had The Rock. You had Metro. And um, this is what happened. According to this article by Peter Stack, Batman and Robin took up so many sound stages for Warner brothers that a lot of production companies were intentionally moving up here to shoot their movies. That's how Jade got shot here. And then once they got here, they saw that there was a lot of space and more and more movies were shooting here. So one of those movies was the game, um, David Finchner saw Fincher, Fincher. I did this last time we did, did it. this
0: for Zodiac.
1: Zodiac. I've learned nothing in the 70 podcasts that I've done since then. David Fincher came up here, had always wanted to shoot in LA. Um, in his director's commentary, he says, you can't go wrong in San Francisco. You just put a phone booth wherever you want. And it looks great. He absolutely loves <laughs> it here. Um it's his third movie, he just made Seven, and Seven made like a gazillion dollars, so he can kind of call his shot, and he wants to shoot the game. Let's talk a little bit about the locations first. Okay. What are your thoughts? I think it's a fantastic location movie. I think it's one of the best.
0: Let me pull up my notes, which I have digitally. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, I have several points about the location. I know that you've brought up this privately, that it's like financial district is hot for the game. Now here's what, I watched this with both Leo and my husband last night, and my husband kept saying, like, where is everyone? It is empty, 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 (laughs) empty. There is no cars driving down the streets. There are no people walking on the sidewalks. Um, It's an empty San Francisco until they get to Chinatown, (laughs) where he's stuck in traffic and inexplicably gets carjacked while stuck in traffic. Uh-huh. Like, how are they going to get away? Yeah. what? Are, they're, they're stuck in traffic, and yeah. they're going to take the lovely ex-wife's car. I didn't understand that. And then my other question about the locations... Oh, and, and Leo and I went to Filoli Gardens on Saturday, um, where they film Nicholas Van Orton's beautiful home, which is just extraordinary and such a fabulous location, like that would ever be in San Francisco. Yeah. Okay, but you know when he's playing... Squash. Uh huh. Where is the mahogany paneled squash court in San Francisco?
1: Oh, don't you think that's Olympic Club? No, no.
0: I've been to the squash courts at the <laughs> Olympic Club, <laughs> and they are not. white. No, none of that is the Olympic Club. That when he ha- when he's having like lunch and dinner, it's at the City Club. Yeah, and then when he's after playing squash when he's at the... when he's having drinks and those, like, businessmen are talking about, like, oh, I played the game in L.A. Yeah. Um, That's the university club. That's the press room, I think, at the university club. But where is the mahogany paneled
1: squash courts? Well, I I did a little bit of research and there were several scenes including the exterior of Christine, um, exterior of her house and several other places were filmed um, down in L.A. So... Possible the mahogany squash court is down in L.A.
0: Well, it's the... I mean, I have never seen... I've only seen the squash courts at the Olympic Club. Uh-huh. Um, and I can't imagine they would let them film in the Bohemian Club. Yeah. But they were... low. I mean, they were just extraordinarily beautiful
1: squash courts. I, just,
0: they, <laughs> I really noticed this time. Like, whoa!
1: I love how ge- geographically, other than Filoli Gardens, it kind of makes sense. Like, his path from... Uh, wherever he lives i'm assuming it's seacliff to the financial district he comes down california street that's not the way i'd go but that's the way to the financial district as a crow flies which way would you go seacliff um i don't know i might you know head down to uh uh i don't know i might head down to like eddie go through the tenderloin no
0: nicholas van Orden wouldn't go through the tenderloin that's true
1: that's true he's got a nice nice car I love how it takes place in San Francisco at this moment. Kind of, it feels frozen in time. This is before all the tech money comes in. It still feels like a financial district town, and yet it doesn't feel woefully out of date. Unless they go to a computer screen, even when he pulls or out a his phone booth, his cell phone though he has a cell phone, and even when he pulls out a cell phone, it's not the big Michael Douglas Wall Street sure. giant cell phone. It's actually a cell phone of appropriate size. So. I think it ages really well. It doesn't feel like it was filmed in a weird another time, like So I Married an Axe Murder totally feels 90s. Star Trek IV totally feels 80s. This still feels like San Francisco, but it feels just a little bit off because the tech money isn't there yet. And also the way that, uh, yeah, do you disagree or agree, Leo? He
0: just wants to talk about the shower in Nicholas Van Orton's office. <laughs> yeah. He's very impressed.
1: Anyway, um, right before the internet becomes dominant, um, I love all the little places that are still there. Green Door Massage, when they run down the Stockton Street toward the Stockton Street's tunnel, when Sean Penn as Nicholas Von Horton's brother Conrad, yeah. when they're running down, they go down to the Green Door Massage Parlor, still there order food from the new moon chinese oh is that real yeah if i had time i didn't have time today i was actually gonna bike up there and just get some you know dumplings or something and bring them down there you can still order food there beth
0: are there um actor autographed actor eight by tens on the wall
1: i don't know i'm gonna do that research and uh i'll, I'll share you that on Twitter. Add, i
0: mean is that the real lady
1: <laughs> it might be i don't know i should have done this research at
0: She's like, do you know how many people come here? I mean, that is a good... That scene, actually, all the whole Chinatown thing, that was where I had to suspend my disbelief. Um, but the fact that he remembers that which Chinese food restaurant, the best Chinese food in San Francisco, okay, um, shows up and the like that just seemed too much to me but then again with the game my issue with the game and I'm getting off topic here or off of your very specific question here but like how much which things were part of the game and which things was Nicholas Van Orton figuring out himself
1: well we're going to talk about that later because okay. I've, I've okay. listened to a little bit of director commentary and read a little bit on it and they've been pretty specific about what their intention was I just wanted to finish up with the locations um, I agree with you the streets are clear but I feel like David Fincher shot between 4 and 4.30 in the morning all of the exteriors Um, going down one place I love I love California Street that's a great view right around California and Powell looking down toward the Bay Bridge Um, not a lot of Golden Gate Bridge shots Bay Bridge shots which I love and then the taxi cab that flies into the water that was going straight down Harrison Street again totally empty open the door lock the door Open the door! Listen, I am a very wealthy man, (laughs) and whatever they're paying you, I'll double it. I just thought a lot of the locations are really creative. I love all the places they use, palace hotels in there. So, any other thoughts on locations?
0: That was not Sausalito. Okay. Where the nice ex wife lives. Like, she's supposed to live in Sausalito, and the street is, like, you know, as wide as a block. It's ridiculous.
1: Not Sausalito.
0: Not Sausalito by any stretch.
1: Anything in movies that's supposed to be Sausalito, though, is never Sausalito. I mean, it's, it's how many
0: movies be- take place in Sausalito.
1: Star Trek 4. Okay. George Peter- and Gracie. Oh, my God. Sorry, we're back on Star Trek. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go. What else works in the film? Non-locations. What do you like about this film?
0: Um, I love Sean Penn. I love Sean Penn, and I know that that was originally cast as a a whole bunch of other things. Like, I I read at one point, it was Jodie Foster was going to play that role. Another point, it was going to be a college friend, not a sibling, Um, or maybe his daughter or something like that. Um, But I think that having kind of the 'er ne'er-do-well, the black sheep... Younger brother fit perfectly.
1: I think it did too. In the it was originally they were going to cast someone much (laughs) younger, someone more like Brad Pitt's age, who in that time Nicholas Van Orton as Nicholas Van Orton. And then they decided to add sort of the you know aging um, businessman has lost his soul, having somewhat of a midlife crisis, and that became part of the story. And I think that's where uh, Sean Penn was brought in. But I agree with you; he's fantastic.
0: I like how, you know, I like all the fincherness of it. I like how dark it is. Um, the stylized component. I like Michael Douglas in this. I, like, my favorite scene, other than the big ending scene, is when they go into the cafeteria and you can recognize all of the people that have popped up throughout the movie so far, and you realize he was an actor, he was an actor, he was part of this, he was part of the game. The construction worker's part of the game that, you know.
1: Tommy Flanagan, who jumped out of the taxi cab, is sitting there, like, having, uh, you know, sharing, it's not even a drink, it's like... They've got like their cafeteria trays, and he's there with- Yeah, they all
0: happen to be having, like all of them are off duty at the same time, (laughs) and they're all having dinner at the same time in the company cafeteria. But I still, I love that scene, because you're like, oh yeah, that guy, that guy. Yeah,
1: Yeah. like I liked the film. (laughs) The point where I just absolutely loved it was when Daniel Shore shows up, a real life TV anchor, and he's watching the news, and all of a sudden it starts becoming this discussion with Nicholas Van Orten, between him and the newscaster, and he's trying to figure out how the newscaster's talking to him. And all of a sudden it felt like almost like the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland, where it was about the presentation, and there's suddenly you're kind of in this puzzle, and your reality is shifting. And then they just kept that up for the entire movie. Um, The white rabbit scene, I love it, in Filoli. They had one day to shoot in Filoli, So they put up um, fake foam boards inside Faloli with all that graffiti um, to represent that someone has come in his house and, and, uh, you know, thrown him down the rabbit hole and graffitied his house. And that's kind of when he loses his mind. All of those little twists and turns, I think, work fantastically. And any shortcomings I have, they overcome them easily.
0: Oh, and I love um, James Rebhorn. Yes the character actor who plays the the main guy that sets him up at CRS and then it turns out he's an actor and his 8x10 glossy is on the wall of the Chinese restaurant um, but he who has passed away I believe yeah. he's such a great character actor and he's so great in this role he's you know he's and he turns out he's a dad at the zoo maybe <laughs> Yeah. Um, in his Hawaiian shirt and I appreciated his I mean he did kind of bring a little comic relief to the movie
1: So supporting actors, so many good ones here. Uh, Carol Baker as the maid Ilsa, Armin Mueller-Stahl as the children's book uh, entrepreneur, children's book company owner, and a couple local ones, Charles Martinet, in the flashback scenes as Nicholas's father who jumped off the roof.
0: He really looks like him.
1: He is a local voice actor. I did a story on him. He has also, since 1993, been the voice of Mario and all the Mario and Luigi video games for Get Nintendo. Out. Yes, he does all the voices. He's delightful. Um, Nicholas <laughs> Martinet. He
0: doesn't look like he would He would be Mario.
1: No, he's Mario. And then Peter Donat, D-O-N-A-T, um, who plays Samuel Sutherland. I think he's uh, the lawyer or a business partner of some sort. I think sort. he's the lawyer. Yeah. Huge, huge figure in ACT. I looked him up and we did an obituary on him a few years ago when he passed. And he was um, for like 20 years a company player with ACT in San Francisco, along with being a pretty big, big name in Hollywood. So, And
0: I did not know that. Nor yeah. am I recognizing him from anything. Yeah. But he's in... Insta- All right.
1: Okay. So I love the supporting cast. And then Michael Douglas in every scene. um, It all revolves around him. There's no point where you see what all the CRS people are doing behind the scenes. You follow him. You're on his journey. And one of my top three Michael Douglas performances. Really? Yeah. What are the other two? Wall Street and Falling Down. Okay. Your thoughts on Michael Douglas performances and where the game fits in.
0: Interesting that you didn't pick Streets of San Francisco yeah i mean he's
1: great in it but i don't look at that and go god i just want to sit and watch that episode of streets of san francisco where michael douglas just captivated right. yeah, me yeah, yeah. like like you would with this i would watch this again just for his performance
0: um i like michael douglas and fatal attraction okay
1: not my favorite film but i haven't oh, seen I it since movie. it came out so maybe it is it's my not favorite filmed film. in san
0: francisco so you're never gonna watch it again yeah i he looks incredibly incre- he's aged he looked very young to me. I mean, I realize it's 22 years ago and we've all aged in the past 22 years, but Michael Douglas has really aged.
1: Okay. I wasn't going to put this in my notes because I didn't want to say it, but I had a total freak out because I'm watching this and I'm thinking of him being kind of this old guy and he was 53 when it was shot.
0: He's supposed to be 48 because it's his But 48th it's his
1: 48th birthday, birthday and I'm going to celebrate my 49th birthday in August. So the Michael Douglas character in the game was younger than me and I had this complete freak out.
0: Why? Because you're not worth $600 million?
1: No, not like I haven't (laughs) achieved what Nicholas Von Ortens achieved. I'm happy with my life, but I was watching the first part of that film thinking, partly because it's Michael Douglas, that he's a much older character than I am in my life right now. So I had this moment of...
0: Would you, if someone gave you uh, the game for your 49th birthday, would you accept? No,
1: I would be horrible at the game. I would absolutely be horrible. I would not be good at this. He handled it comparatively well. I would not want the game. Would you want the game? Would you want no. the game done to
0: you? No, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I like I get everything that he had to go through emotionally, like physically and emotionally, and like he needed that in his life to like get through that, to have the breakthrough with his brother, to have the breakthrough about his father's suicide, to have the breakthrough about his the end of his marriage. Uh-huh. Like I get that he had to go through that. Like I've gone through that in my own life in my own you know, personal ways that, like, I've worked through this. Yeah. Like, some of us choose therapy. Some people just do the game for a week and get to the same destination.
1: Yeah. I. I it didn't look fun to me. It didn't look enlightening to me. No, it didn't look fun. It looked traumatizing. It didn't look like, it, it's kind of treated like this Dickens moment at the end, like, oh, he went through the game and now he's okay. I would not be okay at the end of the game. I would be, you know, in all kinds of therapy for the rest of my life about the game
0: no no he was okay at the end of the game
1: i know but i wouldn't be that's what i'm saying
0: right but your game would be different than nicholas van orton's your game would be this was very specifically designed for him and like his needs like the way he reacted when he one of those um black and white images they showed him you know he like had to respond with one word to all of these different images Got it. and he was like risky there was one thing with like a woman and he described it as risky and so I was like that's when they decided to make a woman a thing
1: in his so my game might be like I have um, communication issues I don't like speaking in front of people I don't like getting in confrontation my game might be just this really really long detailed um, scenario where I have to buy a car and it just goes absolutely haywire. Okay. Cause that's like, that's the thing I hate to, the most is a, buying a car when I have to get all confrontational with someone and be like a fake, you know,
0: Why do you have to be confrontational, get confrontational when you buy a car?
1: Cause they always are trying to screw you. You can't just be a nice guy. I like situations where I can just go be a nice guy and function as a nice guy and where I get, nervous is when I start getting in confrontation with people is that well, what you're saying
0: yes I'm saying that your game would definitely be different from Nicholas Van Orten's because you have presumably as we all do different things to kind of work through
1: got it got it all right I got it I, I think I got it.
0: it's not everyone doesn't end up in a coffin in Mexico <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> what doesn't work what didn't you like okay you can, it sounds like you've got a list. I know you love this movie, but...
0: I do love this movie. There's one... I really noticed. I've always felt this way about this particular actress. I'm not a fan of Deborah Unger, who plays Christine.
1: Deborah Kara Unger. Okay. <laughs> I'm, and I- miss?
0: Pardon me, miss.
1: Oh, great. It's you. I don't know how this works, but... You have something for me. I uh, I received this, uh, this note. What are you babbling about, psycho? I need to know what is going on. You want to know what's going on? I'm going on my second job this month. Now it looks like I'm going on unemployment. Maybe I should try to explain.
0: Don't I- explain. Just fuck off. I don't know why, and I feel bad. Like, the one actor that I have a big problem with is a woman. I feel bad about that. I just don't. For whatever reason, it's like... Certain words rub me the wrong way. Like, she is the the theatrical equivalent of the word moist. Like, I just, mm, I don't like it.
1: Yeah, Deborah Kerr Unger, she was in Crash. She's been in a couple other things, smaller roles. Not a major actress. I thought she was fine. She wasn't in the movie that much. Here's the thing about the role. They initially had it as a bigger role. There was even a scene filmed where they do some kind of carriage ride. There were more romance elements that they took out of it. And they just focused on the game. And his journey. Right.
0: I don't want... I'm not there. I'm not at the game for romance. And I think, like, adding that element... Oh, oh, oh. When she takes her shirt off, she... Like, I guess this is my problem. It's not necessarily her. It's the character. And I really... Like, it's part of the game. I get it. But, like, when they go to Nicholas Van Orton's office and she's like, oh, you have a shower in your office? And... Before she says, do you mind if I take a shower? She takes her shirt off. So she's standing there in a red bra. Um, I'm like, oh, all right. Okay. I see.
1: Yeah. All right. And, I,
0: uh, and also.
1: But is that her? Or is that, their, is that I don't the know. screenwriters I don't know. and the director? I'm the
0: worst woman in the world. Yeah. And <laughs> she's had a lot of her upper lip doesn't move at all. Okay. It's, there's like a Botox issue. There's just this. It's trying too hard to be sexy. I okay. think. All right. But I, you know, I'm sitting here in an old Navy t-shirt hunched over my baby. So what do I know? But like, <laughs> she just like wasn't doing it for me.
1: All right. Um, I'm gonna bring up the suspension of disbelief issue. And this was a big problem for me. I'm going through the movie and watching it and thinking,, um, how is this all working? How do they know he's going to take a left instead of a right? You've got this building all dressed up. How did you know he was going to go to the building? Um, I felt a lot better when I started reading parts of the director's commentary and reading various interviews with people involved with it. They had a real crisis with this film, and they didn't know whether throughout the film they should be showing all the CRS machinations and how they're getting him to go in certain directions, because that would give away the film. So what they did instead is they decided to take the CRS machinations out of it and just follow his journey. And then once he's up on the roof, they start explaining it as fast as they can. They talk about, hey, it was a, there was a scuba diver there when you got off on yeah. the taxi. And, and they tried to fit it in, but they just couldn't. They couldn't show the audience You know how this was all possible, how it was possible to carry out the game. Um, And because they couldn't do that, um, because it would ruin the best parts of the story, they had this problem they couldn't solve. And that ended up being a little problem for me when I first saw the movie. It was probably a bigger problem. And once I got the explanation, I'm over it when I watch it again. It's probably not going to bug me.
0: Okay. I mean, that goes back to my questions of which part are... The game. How much of this is completely choreographed? Like every second of his day is choreographed, or how much is he? Did they anticipate? Okay, then he's going to go to this Chinese restaurant. Then he's going to see the guy's picture on the wall. Then he's going to run, get the guy's name, call the guy's wife, find out he's at the zoo. Like, do, how much of that was specifically planned? Okay, and then my real question is. Oh here, Leo. Um. How did someone so powerful, like he's incredibly busy, very successful businessman, would not spend an entire day signing up for something that he has no idea, like doing the physical tests, sitting, watching the creepy videos of like babies being born and animals dying and what have you. I mean, like my dad would have walked out of there in 15 minutes and he's retired. Yes. I can't imagine that kind of personality going, agreeing, like just sitting through all of that all day long, like calling a secretary, being like, oh, reschedule. I'm jogging on a treadmill (laughs) for 45
1: minutes. And watching this creepy (laughs) (laughs) video with a series of uh, horrifying images. Um, I agree with you. That's probably now when I watch it, that's gonna be my biggest problem and what to overcome. Um, My second biggest problem, the opening credits, those puzzle pieces. David Fincher and everyone he works with everything they do is timeless you watch Zodiac now it's going to look as good in 50 years as it did the day it came out Seven looks fantastic this movie looks fantastic except for those that little puzzle piece opening credit you know what I'm talking about that looks completely dated it looks like it was done on a computer in the 1990s and nothing in this film other than that looks dated so that bugs me that didn't bug you? no okay
0: I mean, I wasn't really paying attention to the credits. Oh, you know what I did like? The music. Yeah. But that's all I have to
1: say about (laughs) it. Another issue we need to bring up. David Fincher says he does not like the game. Where Uh, did he say that? 2014. I looked it up. I saw a lot of references to it. It was in an IndieWire interview while he was on the Gone Girl tour. Said. uh, Okay,
0: well, there's a movie. We can have some things to say about David Fincher.
1: (laughs) I I don't think he he meant that he hated it but he said he had problems with it that there were mistakes made quote we didn't figure out the third act and it was my fault because I thought if you could just keep your foot in the throttle it would be liberating and funny um not his favorite film should that affect how we think about the game no (laughs) no
0: (laughs) absolutely not okay a lot of artists don't like some of their greatest works all right. So, you know, I mean, he can have an opinion just like anyone else, but it shouldn't take away from our enjoyment of it.
1: All right. I, so let's move past that. It doesn't matter what David Fincher says. It doesn't says. matter
0: what David Fincher says. Great film. About many things. All
1: right. I have some cool trivia for you, just little things. Uh, 49ers linebacker Keena Turner played a police officer named Hicks. Um, And Dwight Hicks was a 49er safety when Keena Turner was on the 49ers. (laughs) So you're giving me a look.
0: I mean, okay. I
1: thought that was cool. There are a lot of people who are going to be interested that 49er legend Keena Turner was in this movie. Okay. City Club, the scenes that were shot at the City Club, they showed up. Jeffrey Beecroft, who was a former San Francisco resident and the production designer, said that Fincher was furious. They showed up at the City Club quote from beecroft we paid a whole bunch of money but at the last minute they said you can't shoot the diego rivera mural so it's at the city club and there isn't like the most famous thing about that city club when you walk there and see things which is a diego How come rivera they couldn't,
0: mural. i would think that they would want to be like hey fyi you can rent us out for weddings for a fortune we have a diego rivera mural
1: i don't know why you couldn't shoot it i, I don't know what kind of rights issue was involved but they couldn't have the diego rivera mural there they shot all the scenes they were supposed to shoot um jodie foster originally set for the sean penn role when i think a lot of the ages were different uh did not end up in the movie and sued sued the production company for 54.5 million dollars i think this is when i was in la covering civil cases and i may have even written about it um they settled Oh, and Daniel Shore. This is my favorite. Daniel Shore was in the movie The Net and also played a newscaster there. So Daniel Shore freaking out coming to the game because um, he had been on the net, had some misgivings. David Fincher's like, it's okay. It's going to be fantastic. He shows up on the set. The day he's doing his scenes, the New York Times comes out with a story about how all these newscasters are doing cameos in movies and why it's kind of a bad thing. And Daniel Shore's picture from the net is in the New York Times from there. And they had to talk him into doing his scenes, which are fantastic. I love him in this movie as the newscaster who breaks the fourth wall and talks to Nicholas And he's in Van it for,
0: for five minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but he was freaked out about it. I, I think it's probably one of the proudest things of his life by the time it was over. Um, so that was my trivia I um, wanted to ask you where you rank it San Francisco movies and location scout movies but let's start with San Francisco movies it's in
0: the top five
1: in the top five give me the top five if you can <sighs> think of them give me give me three
0: Um, Zodiac
1: okay another copycat adventure. copycat
0: you know I love copycat I
1: know you do you really want me to record a copycat yeah. episode Sister Act Sister Act okay. shout out
0: to Audrey Cooper on Sister Act <laughs> yeah. right there um and dark passage
1: nice for our elderly listeners. <laughs> I had the game like third tier. I had it so stupid. I know I had it with a bunch of movies that I thought were pretty good, but you I had didn't it with have like it. nine months. No, I didn't have it with nine months. I probably had it with like Princess Diaries. Oh my God, yeah so. I'm going up to right between that second and first tier. And I think by the end of my life, it might have made it to first tier, which would be many, amazing. How
0: many movies are in a tier, though?
1: First tier is uh, <laughs> first tier is Vertigo, uh, The Conversation, Star Trek IV, <laughs> and uh, Mrs. Doubtfire's pretty close. Second tier, it, really good movies like Inside Out, I think is actually the San Francisco parts are done really well. Dirty Harry, Bullet. There are movies that I like in a lot of ways, maybe did the locations really well and have some other things I don't like. That's where I'm putting the game right now. It has a chance to rise to the first tier before the end of my life. I need to rewatch it. I've only watched it one time. Since it came out, so
0: weird. It's just yeah. odd, though. You know, I mean, not. I've never seen the Princess Diaries, but you know who loves the Princess Diaries?
1: Kevin Fagan. Kevin Fagan. Yeah, we did an episode with Kevin and Tony. It was so tearful, odd. a tearful episode. Um, locations. I think this is a top tier San Francisco location movie. I love. I would love to do like a bike tour, taking people around all the cool things that happen in the game.
0: Other than biking down to Woodside.
1: Yeah, other than biking down a woodside,
0: Or don't they go across the Bay Bridge at one point?
1: I think they do. I like that they don't have the Golden Gate Bridge. I like that they... Never.
0: I don't think they ever... Never.
1: I like that they don't have a cable car. You hear a cable car bell, which is appropriate because they're on California Street, and it's not the Powell Street Line's cable car. It's California Street, which you don't see as much in movies. So, um, love the Harrison Street taxicab driving into the water. Iconic. And uh, uh, love all the financial district stuff. I think it's fantastic.
0: Do you not use the term Fideye?
1: I wouldn't do it on my own. Now that you've used it, I might feel more comfortable using it.
0: It, Right, but it is. It's one of those that's kind of frowned upon in some circles. Yeah,
1: it's not like San Fran. No, 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 no. That's almost like Voldemort. I shouldn't have even said it out loud. But but,
0: Fideye is, there's a controversial
1: Okay. What are, what is where, where are you going with this? I mean, should I be using FIDI? Or? I
0: don't know. I've been using it, and I've been scolded. Just FYI. Put that out there.
1: <laughs> so, wrapping up, everyone should see the game. Yeah. Hopefully not after listening to the entirety of this podcast.
0: I mean, I kind of assume that everyone already has seen the game.
1: Yeah. No, it didn't do that well. It's It didn't. So, final scene two. Okay. Maybe biggest suspension of disbelief and next to the taxi cab going into the water, I think the most iconic scene, him falling through the plate glass at the Palace Hotel. How do you feel about that? I don't feel like it's survivable.
0: Mr. Van Orton, don't open your eyes. It's breakaway glass, but it can still cut you. Keep everyone back until we clear cleared away
1: the breakaway glass. Mr. Van Orton, don't open your eyes. breakaway glass, but it can still cut you. I'm going to take a look. At I'm going
0: to check your pulse. That scene always gets me. Oh, oh, and then when he gets up and he stumbles, he really, really, like, embarrassingly awkward stumbles. Which yeah. I love. I mean, I felt like Michael Douglas kind of took us there. Um, is that realistic? No. Yeah, you have to suspend disbelief. Although, also, I mean, how, oh, here's my, how much was the bill? Remember?
1: Yes. Thank you. Let's end on that. How much do you think the bill was? Let's well, both Well, Because write they, down had to number.
0: Factor in, they had to factor in doing the breakaway glass over the Palace Hotel Garden Court. Is, yes. that, is that the Garden Court? Whatever it is. Um, but, like, how much did it cost? What was the bill that they ended up splitting? Nikki and Connie, now best friends again. You, you're paying the off
1: splitting. the police union, right? I mean, there's there's got to be some sort of paying off of the police force and a donation, the perhaps. hospitals. Okay, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you a pen, and we're gonna both write down. the I have a very number. specific number. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna get you a pen.
0: Are we adjusting for
1: inflation? Uh, no, $1,997. What's the number when Conrad signs the bill, and then uh, Nicholas agrees to split it? All right, so we're gonna write this down.
0: Okay. <laughs> this is like you buying your car. You have to like write it down on a piece of paper. <laughs> your greatest fear.
1: Okay, we're going to hold it up on the count of three. Okay. One, two, three.
0: Oh! oh interesting. Oh. Peter said 1.14 million. Uh huh. I said 1.5 million.
1: 1.5 million. Yeah, I, I figured he's worth 60 million. I so think he's worth meant- 600 million. 600 million. Oh, I might have gone a little higher then. Okay. I think it's got to be under 5 million, but definitely more than a million. I probably aimed a little bit low. What, what's your criteria for 1.5 million?
0: I think that it's because my criteria is I think it's really, really high, particularly by 1997 standards, which it means seven figures to me. Because even Nicholas Van Orton, who is worth, as they repeatedly say in the movie Peter, six hundred million dollars, <laughs> kind of balked at it. Was
1: like, whoa, whoa, that's a big number. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and also for Conrad to be able to pay half of it, like obviously they both have inheritance. Like there's some kind of family, Van Orton family trust after the dad killed himself. But Nicholas has way more money than his brother. Yeah. So that's how, I mean, and, and just the, as my husband would say, the totality of everything that they went through, having the scuba divers need underwater, having the breakaway glass built over the palace hotel, um, all of the, every construction worker in the background, every, yeah, You know, perhaps, who knows, person at the zoo, guy at the Chinese food restaurant. You know, at every twist and turn, um, they bring in all of these actors. Yeah. It's cost a fortune.
1: It costs a fortune, but I feel like these actors aren't making a lot of money. I mean...
0: She's flying to Australia next.
1: She's flying to Australia, but probably they're paying for that, and she could be making, you know...
0: Well, yeah, but they're charging a lot to be able to pay for it.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, we're not in disagreement here. We have nearly the same figure. That's a lot of money. It's
0: very expensive. Yeah, a million dollars. For like, how many days was it? Yeah. It was like four days. Yeah. And they put it together. Oh, there's another thing. They think of when he goes in, his brother gives him the thing that gives him the gift certificate or whatever, (laughs) the Starbucks gift card for CRS. He goes in, goes through his rigmarole for a day, and that night, they begin. Like yeah. they put all that together, Leo's shocked.
1: Two biggest expenses, um, breaking into his mansion and getting all that done in a day. You've got to have a graffiti artist. You've got to probably pay off the maid. Ilsa. Ilsa, uh, Palace Hotel actually is in the top three. And then actually I think the biggest expense is how fast did they put up that business office in the high rise on Montgomery street to be the CRS office? That must have cost a lot of money. You're basically building an office because it's gone. It's gone. They just built that for him, for Nicholas's game. Did they
0: or were there like seven San Francisco games going on simultaneously?
1: Okay. So you think there's some synergy? You think they're cutting costs by having a bunch of games?
0: I mean, I just don't see how otherwise it would be feasible as a business. Because it's incredibly, incredibly, I mean, we could really, (laughs) we could bring in an accountant in here, but like, it's incredibly, incredibly expensive just to pull this off. Plus, you have to make money. You have to make a profit. If you're just doing it in San Francisco and you're, and she's going to, she's like, oh, I have a, um, I have a game starting in Australia next week. She's get, she's getting there in advance.
1: Okay. Here's my counter to that. I think I've got you on this. All right. Okay. When he goes up into the cafeteria, they're all wearing their outfits from his game. Wouldn't, wouldn't oh, the right, taxi driver be wearing, yeah. like a, a, a bellhops bellhops outfit, yeah. outfit or something? So I think that was all his game, Beth. Okay, that's a good point. Okay, we've solved the game. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Leo. Leo's telling us it's time to go. Here, let's let's give him a little. You want to talk? That's all right. He says, "I'm not going to talk on command." <laughs> Thank you, Beth, and thank you, Leo. Thanks for having us, Peter. We will get to copycat someday.
0: We all are hoping. Yeah. Everyone (laughs) listening right now is hoping that we get to copycat one day.
1: But above all, apologies that I was wrong about the game.
0: Well, I hope you'll listen to me. Okay. For all of my recommendations in the future.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Beth.
0: Thanks, Peter. They're all sideways,
1: and I think you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guest, Beth Spotswood. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle Podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com podcasts with an S.